Welcome to Renew Church. Praise the Lord. All right, so we are going to continue on in our series, uh, The Good, the Bad, the Ugly, in Hebrews 11. And, and we have one more character left, Hezekiah. We're gonna do, I'm going to do part one, part two. And then the weekend after Thanksgiving, we're going to enter into our Advent season. And Advent in preparation for Christmas. Advent means coming, the coming expectation um, of, of the Lord. But we only have two more. And we've been doing uh, this Hebrews 11 series for several months now. I don't know about you, but I've really enjoyed taking time to see the good, the bad, the ugly in people's faith. And last week was Jephthah. And thank you for those who sent text messages and emails saying it was awful to read about such a scoundrel of a man. Yes and amen. But that is faith. Just a little bit of faith. And some people, they do a little bit of good. And yet God is glorified through all things. And now we're going to read about Hezekiah. So if you are able to stand for the reading of God's word, I invite you to turn to Hebrews 11, which is our start, Hebrews 11, 1 through 3, and in verse 33, and then we'll turn back to 2 Chronicles 29 and just read the beginning of Hezekiah's life. Hebrews 11, starting at verse 1. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for, It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in days of old earned a good reputation. By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command, that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. And in verse 33, by faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, received what good, what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions and then if you turn to the Old Testament, the Second Chronicles 29, the first eight verses, we'll read about Hezekiah. In verse 1, Second Chronicles 29 reads, Hezekiah was 25 years old when he became king of Judah, and he reigned in Jerusalem for 29 years. His mother, Abinjah, the daughter of Zechariah, he did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight, just as his ancestor David had done. In the very first month of the first year of his reign, Hezekiah reopened the doors of the temple of the Lord and repaired them. He summoned the priests and Levites to meet him at the courtyard east of the temple. He said to them, listen to me, you Levites, purify yourself and purify the temple of the Lord, the God of your ancestors. Remove all the defiled things from the sanctuary. Our ancestors were unfaithful and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord our God. They abandoned the Lord and his dwelling place. They turned their backs on him. They also shut the doors to the temple's entry room and they snuffed out the lamps. They stopped burning incense and presenting burnt offerings in the sanctuary of God of Israel. That is why the Lord's anger has fallen upon Judah and Jerusalem. He has made them an object of dread, horror, and ridicule, as you can see with your own eyes. A brief prayer. God, thank you for your word. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you guide us and lead us and illuminate the scripture for our understanding, Lord. And thank you again for your word that we can read. So, Lord, we pray that, as we always pray, that you prepare our hearts to receive your word. Lord, whatever you want me to say, say whatever you don't and don't. We'll be careful to give you the glory. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may have a seat. 
So that we, we are not doing a series in Second Chronicles or Second Kings, which Hezekiah's story is in, what we see here is we are thrown into a crazy story. Just to give you a little bit of a background of what's going on, Hezekiah, as we read, he's 25 years old whenever he takes over the kingdom after his dad. His dad was probably the worst king that Judah had seen at least top three, but I would suggest he's probably the worst king ever. And what we see here at 25 years old is Hezekiah's desire to go back to the Lord, a revival of, of sorts. Maybe in your Bible, there's a little heading that says reformed or revival of with Hezekiah or onto God, or I was reading different ones. Now, we all believe in revival, for those of us who are followers, we would say, I don't think it's a stretch that we need revival in the world. And everybody would say, amen. And then we need revival in our country. Amen. We need revival in our state. Double amen, whatever, in our county. Amen. In our city. Amen. In our church. Yeah. In our home. So slow down there, Jackson. Wait a minute. But uh, revival in us individually. I do. And we say amen. And what we see here is Hezekiah is, is breaking away from what he grew up in. Now just further background, after King David was king, then King Solomon, his son, was the king. After King Solomon died, there was an argument, a debate about who should be the next king. It was hard, it was difficult, it was challenging. It ended up splitting Israel into two kingdoms. Israel to the north, Judah to the south, two tribes in the south. The other ten went north. They each established their own king. Uh, the, um, the Israelites who went with Israel to the north, they opened up their own temple. They started doing all their own things. Although God said, no, it needs to be in Jerusalem. They said, well, we don't like them. We're going to do our own thing. Shocker. We're always kicking back what we don't like. So now there's two separate kingdoms. And throughout this time, there's been 16 kings, roughly. There's been uh, 16 in the north. Uh, we're on 14 in the south, if you're keeping track. But lots of kings, some good, some bad, some really, really bad. Uh, the northern kingdom will quickly be taken over here shortly in the southern kingdom, not too much. And whenever we've done our series with Babylon, throughout the series we saw Babylonian moves in and takes over. Anyways, all that to say is Hezekiah's dad's name was Ahaz. Ahaz was awful. Uh, what he quickly did is take the shortcuts to everything possible. The first thing I, uh, that I read, if you want to read this on your own, you can go back and read Second Chronicles 28 and Second uh, Kings uh, 17, it just gives a history of what he did. And the first thing that he did is he entrenched himself completely into idolatry. Not just a little, even though little is bad, a lot. So much so that it just, he ends up burning some of his sons, Hezekiah's brothers, into a fire pit to sacrifice them to a pagan god. So this is who Hezekiah grew up with. Now, when you're thinking of where you came from, what you grew up in, chances are your daddy did not burn your brother. I hope not. 
You probably did not grow up in this pagan home. Not only that, Hezekiah watched his dad make deals with the Assyrians. He just didn't want to deal with anything. So he said, how much will it cost? And I'm paraphrasing. How much will it cost for you to leave us alone? So they said, if you pay us once a year, this big, huge bribe will leave you alone. And they mostly did unless they wanted more money. It got so bad that Ahaz, Hezekiah's dad, started stripping the gold off the temple itself to pay the Assyrians. Now, granted, where we live, we're not Jewish. We are not in a temple. We're at a church. I was, when I was thinking about this, I was thinking about what gold we have in here. <laughs> not much. Actually, none, right? But just, I mean, the light fixtures. I, I don't know. The computers in the back. Whatever we have of value, we were just giving it away to a pagan nation. That's the equivalent. So much so that Ahaz eventually just boards up the temple and they stop worshiping God. I'm trying to stress, this is awful. This is a bad thing. He not only shut down going to church, so to speak, he prohibited anyone from going to church. Enter Hezekiah. And if you notice in verse 1, it said Hezekiah was 25 years old when he became king of Judah. Whoa. Anyone in here 25 who wants to be king? Anyone in here 75 who wants to be king? And he's taking over after his dad. Now, this series is the good, the bad, and the ugly. And thankfully, we're ending on someone who has what I see a lot of good, and next week we'll cover a little bit of the bad that he does. Now, if you notice, when we were reading Hebrews 11, Hezekiah's name is not mentioned. I know we didn't read the whole passage, but where it comes from, where most scholars believe he's mentioned in Hebrews 11, is that verse 33 that says, by faith these people overthrew kingdoms, not him, but ruled with justice and received what God had promised them. It's the same language most everyone believes it's Hezekiah. And like I said, Hezekiah is a, a wonderful man. So let's just take a look. I only read the first eight verses. We're going to cover a lot of his timeline of what he did. But at 25 years old, what we're going to look at is what he did and why he is considered to be faithful. So we're not going to cover everything, like I said, but the three main things that you need to know that Hezekiah did is he revived the nation. Or he reformed the nation. The next thing is he responded to the Assyrians. We'll talk about it next week. But essentially he said, no, we're not going to give you any more money. And then they said, well, but your daddy did. And he said, I'm not my daddy. And then he is restored. He has a terminal illness and he's on the verge of dying. And, and the Lord restores his health. We'll talk about that next week. But what we see here is he's 25 years old. And he goes back to the Lord. So hopefully this morning, my, my thought is, and my hope is, is, as I was reading this this week and studying, I was thinking, this is, this is a good outline that we could follow if we're looking to have some kind of revival or some kind of reformed in our life. And the first thing that I wrote down is, no matter what trouble you are in, no matter what area of your life that you're facing that is difficult, may it be financial, may it be spiritual, may it be your business, your family, your health, whatever you are facing, whenever you face it, the very first area that you need to take a look at is always your spiritual life. Do a spiritual life 
check. Now, last week we talked about Jephthah, and he was all about, if you do this, Lord, then I will. Or if I will do this, then you will do this. Here, what we see with Hezekiah is he said, Lord, I'm yours. Let's get back to you. So quickly, again, he's 25 years old, and a couple of things that stood out, as we'll see here. 25 years old, reading verse 1, it said halfway through, excuse me, verse 2, he did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight, just as his ancestor David had done. In the very first month of the very first year of his reign, Hezekiah reopened the doors of the temple of the Lord and repaired them. What was the first thing he did when he became king? He put a committee together and said, hey, I'm king, let's print a whole bunch of money that shows my face on it. No, he didn't do that. He didn't establish his kingdom, his rule, saying, okay, I'm not my dad. Everyone come and worship me or follow me. No, the very first thing that he did is he reopened the doors of the temple of the Lord and repaired them. The very first thing. So the thing that I noticed, the thing that stands out to me personally as I was considering this is if I want revival or reformed in my life, I must make an immediate change. Not wait. Who here, who in here is really good at talking themselves out of things that they're supposed to do? Well, I need a plan first. Well, let me get my ducks in a row. Let me fill in the blank. The very first thing that Hezekiah did is he went back to the Lord. That's the very first thing he did. And then verse 4 says how he did it. He summoned the priests and the Levites to meet him at the courtyard east of the temple. So the priests and the Levites for 20-something years since his dad had closed the temple has just been hanging out, just waiting. The temple's closed. This is their job. This is explained by God and what their role is. So just to be clear, a priest is a Levite, but a Levite isn't necessarily a priest. So the priest is the pastor, if you will. The Levites are the staff members. Specifically, the priests are the ones who make the sacrifice of the bulls and the sheep, various things. The Levites are the security team, the ones that help the people come in. So they've been just waiting around for someone to do it. So he invites them in. In verse 5 he says, and here's the first part. He said to them, listen to me, you Levites. Purify yourself and purify the temple of the Lord, the God of your ancestors. The very first thing he does is an immediate response. The second thing is purify yourself. Take a look in the mirror. Take a look in the mirror. He doesn't say, oh, you poor Levites, and oh, you, you poor priest, you haven't done anything. First, purify yourself. Take a look, an inward look at yourself. It's so easy for us to point out all the wrong and everybody else. And what I've noticed, too, and, and at least this is the way that I grew up and it's carried over, you know, perhaps a Saturday morning you wake up and you feel like, you know what, today's the day I'm going to clean out the garage and then all of a sudden, you don't tell anybody your plan, but you start waking up everybody in, your, in the house saying, today we're going to clean the garage. Come on, let's do it. No one? Is that just me? You guys are nicer parents than me, but come on, we're doing this. I feel convicted, so you must feel convicted to do it. You have to do this. You know, the first thing that Hezekiah tells us, and this is the order of what God told Moses, is to purify yourselves first. 
course, my garage illustration isn't on the spiritual level, but first take a look at yourself. Remove the log out of your own eye before the speck in your brother's eye. And then the next thing he's doing is he said, remove all the defiled things from the sanctuary. In this process of cleaning out and doing a self-check, there's some things that need to be removed. I'm going to read the next three verses. Our ancestors were unfaithful and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord our God. They abandoned the Lord in his dwelling place. They turned their backs on him. They also shut the doors of the temple entry room, and they snuffed out the lamps. They stopped burning incense and presenting burnt offerings at the sanctuary of God of Israel. Now, when we read this, we read the temple. They close it off. We get that they snuffed out the lamps. Okay, maybe that represents the presence of God, the lamps. They stop burning incense and present burnt offerings. They stop being forgiven. That's a big deal. So to modernize that, to, to make it a, a, for Christians, modern Christians today, essentially what took place, they stopped going to church. They stopped being in the presence of the Lord. They stopped asking for forgiveness. They stopped repenting. Now remember, this is Jesus hasn't come and died for their sins yet. This is how their sins were forgiven, had been forgiven. They stopped doing that as an entire nation. They stopped coming to the Lord. And then in verse 8, he ex- explains this is why the Lord's anger has fallen upon Judah and Jerusalem. He has made them an object of dread, horror, ridicule, as you can see in your own eyes. Now, we're reading from Second Chronicles, but this story also takes place in Second Kings 18. Now, I just want to read the other things that he was doing at the same time. So the first thing is he was getting his house or the church, the temple, in order. He was organizing that, cleaning it up, just opening up church, cleaning out the cobwebs and all that. At the same time, Second Kings 18, 4 and 7... Verse 1 and 3 says the same, almost identical, what the first three verses of Second Chronicles read. But Second Kings 18, verse 4 reads, He removed the pagan shrines, he smashed the sacred pillars, and cut down the Asherah poles. He broke up the bronze serpent that Moses had made because the people of Israel had been offering sacrifices to it. The bronze serpent, serpent was called Nehithim. So you see what's going on here? So at the same time, he's opening up the church. And at the same time, he's getting rid of all the things that represent idolatry. See, at this time, everyone was doing what they felt was right in their own eyes in front of the Lord. Now he's going back. And again, he tells them to purify themselves, to get ready. And what I've noticed here, too, is he's not only getting things ready, but he's also removing the things that are bad. I think there's a strong temptation... That whenever you're coming back to the Lord or you're confessing sins or you're getting right or whatever language you want to use. Maybe you haven't gone to church in a while. Maybe you haven't read your Bible in a while. Maybe you just haven't been walking with the Lord in a while. The tendency that I've noticed is there's this desire just to go back without dealing with the junk. Now granted, yes, we are forgiven of our sins, but there are things that we have to get rid of in our life in order to continue to walk with the Lord. And that's what he is doing. So notice just quickly those things that he removed in verse 4 of Second Kings. He removed the pagan shrines. 
So at the time, his dad was opening up different shrines to worship different gods. It's at one of those shrines that his brothers were burnt by the fire. That must have felt good to get rid of that. He smashed the sacred pillars. The sacred pillars were individual places where sacrifices to those gods could be taken place. It's almost like an accompaniment that you're taking with you. And then the last one, cut down the Asherah poles. Now, these Asherah poles, what they would do is at the high tops in the region, they would put up literal poles. And originally, they said, well, we want to be able to worship God, Yahweh, whenever we want to. Now, that sounds pretty good, right? We do that. But God had described, no, I want you to worship me in the temple. They're like, no, no, but we want to do it where we want to do it. Now, that doesn't sound necessarily too bad except for the disobedience. But God knew deep down inside what was going to take place. These Asherah poles, these places, would people would sacrifice to God, but then also they would sacrifice to any gods. It became almost the equivalent to a universalistic church. Everything goes... I don't know if you've ever been into a universalistic church. One of the things that we had to do in school and seminaries go visit one. It was different. There was something for Buddha here. There was something for this God here. There was something here. There was a cross. There was, there's various different things. And almost, and there's actually in some of them, the one that I visit in Kansas City, there was an Asherah pole there. So you can make sacrifices, not a blood sacrifice, but money toward any God. That's why later on in the New Testament, when Paul is coming and he says, men of Athens, you are religious or wise in many ways. And he goes to the inscription of the unknown God. It was the same thing. It was, we want to worship all the gods just to cover our bases. So he took those out. And then he broke the bronze serpent that Moses had made because the people of Israel had been offering sacrifices to it. So if you remember this story, this story was in when uh, Moses w- was out in the mountain. He came back down. They started worshiping this gold calf that they made. And then the serpents came and started biting people. And then God told them, take that gold, build this serpent, have people look at it. If they look at it, they'll be healed. All right? Crazy story. Essentially, the, the heart of that story is God said, let's see if the people will do what we've asked them to do, what I asked you to tell them to do. So he makes, Moses makes this bronze serpent. They, worship, they look towards it. Now, over several hundred years, almost we're coming up almost a thousand years now, they've kept this golden statue and they begin to worship it. So Hezekiah said, no, we're not doing that anymore. We're breaking it. Now, that's a sacred cow. I don't know if you know what a sacred cow is in Christian community. It it tends to be, well, we've always done it that way. The things that we tend to idolize or worship, we've always done it that way. Of course, we knew we never do that, but, but that was sarcasm. You know, you just get used to doing the same thing the same way, and it's not necessarily bad, but then all of a sudden it becomes your idol, and you don't get comfortable doing something other than that. I was at a pastor's conference a couple weeks ago, and uh, one of the speakers said something to the effect of this, speaking to pastors specifically. 
He said, do you, pastor, in this room, worship the gift God has given you over him? Do you, pastor, worship the ministry without worshiping the one who has allowed you to minister? And perhaps you're not a pastor in here, but do you, family member, do you, mom or dad, do you worship your family? more than the one who has given you your family? Do you, person, worship your gifts, your talents, your abilities, your finances over the person who has blessed you with that? See, that's exactly what this bronze serpent represented. It's something that God gave them that they went way out of control and started began to worship. Now, now to answer the question, can I, do I worship the ministry? I can. Here's a way that I know that I worship the ministry if I don't take a Sabbath. If my identity becomes in how well I feel I've done on a Sunday or a Wednesday or a Monday or whatever, that becomes something that I worship over God. If my identity becomes in what I do, now it may be applied to you don't say no to your kids when you should because you want them to like you. You take shortcuts in your business so you make just a smidgen more money when your worship becomes something other than to God. That is essentially, again, we're talking about this revival. This, this happened a couple thousand years ago with Hezekiah. But for us, if we want revival, we have to do a self-inventory. So I came back home from that pastor's conference and I took two days off. So there you go. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Whenever you're thinking and you're looking at, man, I really like what I have. I'm doing a really good job. That's a form of worship. So what Hezekiah is doing is, is he responded immediately. He had everyone start to look at themselves purify themselves, consecrate themselves, and then start getting rid of the junk. Start getting rid of all of it. Let's pick up what that looked like and back to 2 Chronicles 29, 15 through 17. It reads, these men called together their fellow Levites and they all purified themselves. Then they began to cleanse the temple out, temple of the Lord, just as the king had commanded. They were careful to follow all of the Lord's instructions in their work. The priests went into the sanctuary of the temple of the Lord to cleanse it out. They took out to the temple courtyard all the defiled things they found. From there, the Levites carted it all out to the Kindron Valley. They began work in early spring and on the first day of the new year, and in eight days, they had reached the entry room of the Lord's temple. Then they purified the temple of the Lord itself, which took another eight days, so the entire task was completed in 16 days. It took them 16 days to get out all of the junk out of their church. So if we're going to modernize this, renew, we decide, okay, we're going to come back to the church. It takes us eight days to get from the parking lot to the front door. And the things that we are getting rid of is all of, our, all of the idols, all of the junk, all of the bad things, 
Ahaz and the king before him also started collecting different statues, different gold pieces, different things that worship the Lord or worship false gods and not worshiping the Lord. It took them eight days. So it takes us eight days to clean up our parking lot to get to the front door. Then it takes another eight days for us to get into here, our sanctuary, and purify it. Now, granted, there are purification instructions that the Lord gives that we don't have to follow. I'm not a priest. We're not Jewish. But you get the point. It took them 16 days just to open up their temple again. I hope this is clear. Going back, just I think I would have been defeated on day one. To be honest with you. Have you ever started again going back to clean out the garage or your shop or something else and you started cleaning the project and then you gave up in an hour because you just got so overwhelmed? Or like me, you start cleaning out one room and then you start thinking about something else that you meant to do so then you go to the other one and next thing you know, you start eight projects on a Saturday. You know what I did yesterday. Eight projects that never do anything. And then you just get overwhelmed and close the garage door and say, next Saturday is a good day. Now, if you think about that spiritually, have you ever started a reading plan and you got two days in and you're doing pretty good? Maybe you missed day three and then you missed day four and then you're on day five and then you look back and think, oh man, I missed day three and four. I might as well start at Genesis 1-1 all over again. Or you miss a day and then you feel so bad and guilty that all of a sudden you feel like, okay, I have four hours to catch up this week. See, that's, this is not what Hezekiah, this, and this is not what the Lord is asking us to do. God is very gracious. Of course, read your Bible. Yes, get back into the habit. But, but, but the thing that I've been really working on, at least in my own life, and I've been talking about this with other pastors, and including my brother who's a pastor, and he made this comment a couple of weeks ago that, that I've been using that's been good. He said, you know, whenever if I miss a day or if I don't read exactly everything that I wanted to or if I didn't pray, his church was doing this 30 days of certain times of fasting, and he said, there's one day I miss, and I felt so bad and so guilty. He said, I was supposed to do breakfast. He's describing this whole thing. And he said, I totally forgot. I got up in the morning, made some eggs. And on my last bite, his wife said, what are you doing? Nothing, I forgot. <laughs> right? And then he said, what I wanted to do is miss the next eight meals to make up for it. So that's not what God wanted. He wants your heart. He wants you not to give up. He wants us to recognize who we are in him. Yes, own it. Yeah, I, I messed up. I made those eggs and I ate them. Yes, I meant to read and I hadn't. I, I, Lord, I, I want to come before you not full of guilt and shame that pushes me away from you, but I just want to present where I'm at. So these 16 days of purifying and getting it right, I think it needed to take that long because they needed to see how much and how far they had been away from God. And that's what, it, that's what ultimately that we're seeing here, this good, this bad, the ugly, the good part that we're seeing with Hezekiah is it was going to be a lot of work early on, but you know what, God, I'm coming to you. It's going to be clunky. It won't be perfect. It won't be smooth. 
but we're going to make progress towards you. If we continue on to read um, 2 Kings 18, verse 5, and here's the key. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before or after him. He remained faithful to the Lord in everything. And he carefully obeyed all the commands the Lord had given Moses. So the Lord was with him, and Hezekiah was successful in everything he did. He revolted against the king of Assyria and refused to pay him tribute. Now remember, look at verse 6. It said, he remained faithful to the Lord in everything, and he carefully obeyed all the commands the Lord had given Moses. How could he know what the commands were in a home that he grew up in. People had debated whether or not, since we know about his mother, Abinjai, and, and the daughter of Zechariah, Zechariah is a temporary of Isaiah, maybe he was with the prophet. Maybe Hezekiah just read on his own. We don't know, but what it is is he carefully obeyed all the commands the Lord had given Moses. There is joy in obeying what God has asked us to do. And it is joyful. Sometimes we look at obeying as a hardship, but in reality, the lack of obeying, this disobedience actually steals from our joy. Have you noticed that on, in your life? The further and further away that you get from what God wants you to do to what you want to do, there tends to be this draw, this pull away that robs your joy. And yet what we see, Hezekiah, 25 years old, is not only trying to reform, to change, to revive uh, his own life, but an entire nation. It goes on, he, he gives out a list, if you want to read it, it's in the reading log that you have in the, book, in the chairs in front of you. He gives a list of the Levites and some of the different offerings and, or preparing for the offerings. They start to open up shop, if you will, open up the temple. Second Chronicles 29, 27 says, Then Hezekiah ordered that the burnt offerings be placed on the altar. This is how sins were forgiven. As the burnt offerings were presented, songs of praise to the Lord were begun, accompanied by trumpets and other instruments of David, the former king of Israel. Can you imagine? It's 20-something years, and no one has praised the Lord corporately. Can you imagine not coming and singing songs to the Lord? 28 says the entire assembly worshiped the Lord as the singers sang and the trumpets blew until all the burnt offerings were finished. So the burnt offering, there's, there's a sin offering and a burnt offering. The sin offering, just quickly, it's, it's you, you confess your sin to the high priest. The Levites help bring in this perfect, as perfect as you can of a bull, brings it forward. You confess your sins. The priest cuts throat. They burn most of the cow or whatever it is the sacrifice is. They keep a little bit for themselves, which is what they're supposed to do. That is a sin offering. You're coming before confessing your sin. Something is sacrificed in your place. Ultimately, this leads to Jesus being sacrificed in our place. A burnt offering is more of uh, being sanctified, giving over everything to the Lord because this burnt offering, again, there would be a sacrifice, but the entire animal would be burnt 
and you would watch it until there was nothing left. That represents the entirety of your life you're giving over to the Lord. And this is what they're going back to. Verse 28, the entire assembly worshiped the Lord as the singers sang the trumpets blew until the burnt offerings were finished. Then the king and everyone with him bowed down and worshiped. There's difference between praise and worship. Praise is a singing song. Worship is surrendering all. That's why I have to remind myself and routinely, we worship the Lord through music. We are now worshiping the Lord in his word. When we hang out and eat donuts, yes, we can worship the Lord in our fellowship time or donut time. It's, it's giving over our life. King, in the verse 30, King Hezekiah, the officials ordered the Levites to praise the Lord with the Psalms written by David and asked for the seer. So they offered joyous praise and bow down in worship. Then Hezekiah declared, now that you have consecrated yourself to the Lord, bring your sacrifices and thanksgiving offering to the temple of the Lord. So the people brought their sacrifices, thanksgiving offerings to all those whose hearts are willing brought burnt offerings. So the first part that first section, that worship and praise and everything, that was, that was the church staff, that was the, the priests, the Levites, that was them getting right before they can minister to other people. Now they're inviting everyone to come. So as we consider this, just looking at it, if, if we want some changes in our life, the first, again, immediate response. The Lord puts it on your heart, just respond immediately. And how did Hezekiah do it? He went back to the word of God. He went back to what was taught. Not only was he establishing the good, but he was also getting rid of the bad. He removed the high places. He removed the Asher poles. He got rid of the sacred idols, the bronze serpent. And in doing so, he did an evaluation of everything. I was just thinking about this just a little bit more as just considering just doing an evaluation of everything that's going on in my life. Now, um, in my family, well, they're not here and they're over serving with kids, but you probably have noticed, maybe you haven't, Natalie is doing a great job of raising wonderful kids and I'm doing a really good job of raising weirdos. Like, that is my, that's my goal. Um, not quite. Um, we, we're a little competitive a lot of competitive, and you can judge me if you want. We are currently having a competition of who can finish a puzzle the fastest. I know. It's weird. Um, I won't tell you who's in last place, but it's me, okay? Um, but we, we have been doing this this week just for something to do. Uh, sports season is over and all that, so we're looking to do something that's still competitive. And, and, and a couple of things that I noticed just with this and, and preparing the sermon, I noticed that as I'm walking through life, preparing for a sermon, the Lord always speaks in the circumstances. I think that would be true for all of you. Now back to this puzzle. I am doing the worst because I am not committed fully like the rest of my family. I spend 10 minutes here. I spend 10 minutes there. Maybe five minutes here. I try to cheat and stop the timer so I can look at the puzzle real quick before I go on. I don't do that. I already got caught. <laughs> but some family members wake up early in the morning to do this. They spend a couple hours doing this. They're committed to doing it. And just thinking about it, like as soon as we said, on your mark, get set, go, 
immediately those who were really committed to do it immediately responded. You know, the other thing that they did is they poured out all of the puzzle pieces and organized it instead of just throw a couple on the board and work on it. Organizing it by color schemes and the border and all these other things. And, and, and the Lord was, just spoke to me and just thinking, that's the way that I want you to come to me. Dump it all out on the table. Organize it, put it in the right place, but do it immediately. Actually spend the time, be committed to doing that. I would like to tell you that I have greatly improved my puzzle skills, but I haven't. But what I see, the I won't say who, but there's a couple of children who are all in. But I also see them all in in their relationships with one another, relationships with the Lord. And that's what I see with Hezekiah, all in. Dump it all out on the table. Get rid of the junk. Immediately do it. And, and be all in. And the last thing, I just, as I was reading this, there's one, one more thing I wanted to point out to us. The end of... 29 ends, they bring their sacrifices. So the priests and the Levites and everyone who works in the temple, the kings, the leaders have all worshiped the Lord. And now they're inviting everyone to come back in. And Hezekiah, at the beginning of 2 Chronicles 30, he decides to invite the, uh, the tribe, the Israel, the other kingdom to come back. He sends this note and he says, we are going to have Passover for the first time in 20-something years, will you join us? You know, we haven't got along. Passover, just quickly, if you remember, the Passover is a celebration, like the key celebration for the Jewish people. This is whenever they were in Egypt and they were getting ready to leave and they put the blood of the lamb over the doorpost and the angel of death would skip over them, pass over and kill the firstborn of all the Egyptians or those who didn't put the blood on the doorpost. They haven't done this in, in 20 years. If we're going to modernize it or, or Christianize it, they're going to have Easter service, Good Friday service and Easter service for the first time in 20 years. And they say, and Hezekiah invites the other kingdom to join them. And many of them say, no, we have our own temple. We're, we don't need you. We don't need to go back there. Just because you're making changes doesn't mean I have to make changes. But then there are some people who come. They hear that he sends out these runners. Again, read it for yourselves. He sends out these runners, and people are starting to come over and over and over again. And according to the law, the Passover is supposed to be in the first month of the new year. So the spring, it's, it's, it's prescribed by God how to do it exactly. So they're getting ready, and there's not enough time to have the Passover when they're supposed to. Okay? Numbers does give an out, says if someone touches a dead body, they can do the purification, they can do Passover later. There's huge consequences if you just merely just do Passover whenever you want. You're supposed to do it when it's described. So everyone starts to come, but they're not right. There's not enough priests, there's not enough Levites, the people don't have enough of their sacrifices. And we'll pick it up in Second Chronicles 30, verse 17. 
So since many of the people had not purified themselves, the Levites had to slaughter their Passover lamb for them to set them apart for the Lord. Most of those who came from Ephraim, Manasseh, Issachar, and Zebubel had not purified themselves, but King Hezekiah prayed for them, and they were allowed to eat the Passover meal anyway, even though this was contrary to the requirements of the law. For Hezekiah said, May the Lord who is good pardon those who decide to follow the Lord, the God of their ancestors, even though they are not properly cleansing for this ceremony. And the Lord listened to Hezekiah's prayer and healed the people. You see that prayer? You see what happened there? They're late. They're about a month late. They're celebrating Easter in June. So Hezekiah comes and he prays and he says, Lord, will you pardon them? Essentially, I was thinking, God, they're trying. They really are trying, Lord, and, and they haven't purified themselves. They're doing it wrong, but they're trying. They're coming to you. They, they're responded immediately. They, they've, they poured it out all on the table. They, they're getting rid of the old and not just correcting. Will you do something, Lord? Will you forgive them even though they're not properly cleansed for the ceremony? And verse 20, and the Lord listened to Hezekiah's prayer and healed the people. So this revival that we hope for individually as it spills into our family and on and on and on, we, we have to remember that God is a very gracious God. And, and I do know that many times when we think of God in the Old Testament, he seems a little more scarier than he does now. Same God yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And I think F.B. F. B. Meyer said it best. You may not understand doctrine, creed, or right, but be sure to seek God. No splendid ceremony or rigorous etiquette can intercede the seeking soul. Seek the Lord. I, I know I, I've been hitting this drum pretty hard in this series, but don't let what you don't know stop you from coming to the Lord. Don't, don't think you have to get all right before you come before the Lord. Just come before the Lord and say, here I am. See, God set aside these regulations because their heart was right. It is the exception, not the rule, yet God saw the heart. He accepted what they were offering. It's just like whenever you think that before you go to the doctor, you have to get right. That you have to come and be in a certain way before God will accept you. Who will accept you if you turn your heart over to him? And that's the whole desire that I see with Hezekiah. The good that he saw is not only did he want revival for himself, but for the kingdom so people can come back to the Lord. And that is the good. So wherever you're at, whenever, whatever the Lord is speaking to you, do it immediately. Pour it out all on the table. Don't just start doing the right thing. Get rid of the bad things too. But take a step forward. 
This morning we're going to receive communion. You're invited to receive communion with us if you're a believer that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. And as we sing a couple more songs, as we praise the Lord, just, just ask the Lord, tell the Lord, here I am. Search my heart, O God, and he'll do it. And if there's anything that the Lord points out to you, do it immediately, respond immediately. Well, let's pray. God, thank you so much for this time that we've had to praise you, Lord. And as we've covered so much and such a short time, Lord, we're just thankful for the fact that you raise up someone like Hezekiah in the darkest times in the Israelites' history, Lord. And ultimately, that is leading, that leads to your son coming. So, Lord, as we prepare our hearts to receive communion, will you speak to us, Lord, and thank you for dealing with all the shame on the cross, Lord. So we don't come before you shameful. We come before you in thankfulness that you've dealt with our sin on the cross. And, Lord, we want to respond in such a way that if there's anything in our lives that is not of you, that we immediately respond Lord, let us dump it out all on the table. Let us be committed to it, Lord. Lord, and as we read at the end, Lord, we may come before you and not do it just right or it's just kind of clunky and messy, Lord, but here, here we are. And, and that prayer that Hezekiah, Lord, will you pardon us as we come to you? Even though it's we're not properly cleansed or just right, Lord. We come before you because ultimately we are forgiven because of the blood of Christ. So, Lord, as we sing more songs, we just speak to us, prepare our hearts to receive communion. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.